you're an older man. We're making fun of you because you're older and you're bald. And we're making fun of you because of your story about the prophet going up in the whirlwind. And what happened? Elisha doesn't say, hmm, <laughs> this is going to be interesting. I hope you listen to me on this part. Elisha doesn't say, well, you're just going to receive my love. I'm just going to love you and embrace you, and I want you to know I value you and respect you, and I'm sure you're really wonderful people, and maybe we could talk about this someday, and let's sit down and parlay. Elijah didn't say that. It says, and he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. We've got to talk about that because some people, some Christians, some, a lot of Christians maybe in our era never hear this, don't read their Bible, never run into this, or hundreds of other things that are like it. And they've got this image that the man of God is just always nice. I'm Steve Hartland, pastor at Cornerstone Community Church in Joppa, Maryland. Thanks for coming here today. And what's the topic? The topic is going to be, well, I, I hope you'll like this. I hope you'll, you'll give me a chance to get this topic going for you. We're going to talk about bears. Now, why are we doing bears in the Bible? Well, here's why. Because I, in my Old Testament reading of the Bible, I read through some chapters of the Old Testament first thing in the morning. Then I read through some, some chapters in the New Testament first thing in the morning. Then I have some prayer time. And in my Old Testament reading, I'm in Second Kings right now. And I just read a few days ago through chapter 2. And in chapter 2, there's a story about Elisha and a roaming, marauding band of young men who are out for mischief and two mauling bears. And that whole passage causes problems for some people, and the devil would love to use it to make you think, hmm, really? This is the Word of God? This is the kingdom of God? This is the prophet of God? This is the way of God? He'd like to separate you from faith in the Word of God, and that passage is one that he might use. But it got me thinking about bears in general a little bit, and it got me thinking about other bears in the Bible. So we're going to go a little more broad than the Second Kings chapter 2 bears. And actually, I want to start with two bear stories. Two bear stories, real-life bear stories. One of them is personal, an experience Debbie and I and two of our boys had with a bear. And one of them's uh, it's not personal, what would I call it? It's uh, in the news, bears in the news. And uh, there have been a number of such stories, but I'm going to tell you what I think is the very most amazing one of them, the best, the granddaddy of them all. So two bear stories. Let me start off with the personal bear story. So Debbie and I were married. We got married when we were 20. At this point where the story happens, we're probably 24, 25, and we have two sons at that point. We'll have two more sons later on. We'll have a foster son come join us later on. But at this point, we have two sons, and I'm going to guess they're age one and two. They were 13 months apart, folks. Yeah, think about that. So they were probably aged one and two or maybe a little older. And before we had kids, Debbie and I had done a lot, a lot, a lot of backpacking. Uh, we actually spent a year in the Rocky Mountains, actually did some mountaineering there, some pretty high peaks and stuff. And um, so we just thought at this point in life, we're, we're back in Maryland, and uh, we'd like to take our kids on a little backpacking trip. So we did. We got all our stuff together, packed them up, went down the um, Skyline Drive, hooked up with the Appalachian Trail, and didn't hike far because we've got our two little guys there. So we hiked up the trail a little bit, and then off the trail, and there was a nice stream there, and we made a camp in a beautiful little spot. And now it's evening, and everybody's sitting around having a good time, and I'm making some dinner, and I got my little Svea stove. It's purring. I love the sound of that stove. 
and, and food's heating up. You can smell the food in the air. And then we heard this sound. Crunch, 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 crunch. And we looked, and, well, you know what it's going to be, don't you? There was a bear. Now, it might just be my memory. Maybe any, maybe it was a teeny bear, and to me in that day, it would have looked large. But it looked large. It was a big bear. I don't think the bear had seen us yet. The bear was going that way past our camp, maybe about 50 feet out or so, headed to the stream that was over there. We were right by a nice little pool, a little pond, and stream over there feeding into it. So there goes the bear. So I said, Debbie, get the kids in the tent. There's a bear. So she gets the kids in the tent. And then she grabs our food, which is smelling pretty good. She grabs our food and puts it in the tent. And I said, no, no, you can't put the food in the tent. And it was her strong, her passionate motherly instincts, she told me later, like, I did not want that bear to get my children's food. And I was like, well, you were going to offer our children to the bear for food in about a minute there. So anyway, so we got the food back out. And... uh I don't know. I didn't know what to do. I just It was just an instinctual thing, I guess. There was a tree stump over there, and I grabbed pots and pans and hopped up on the tree stump, made myself as big as I could, and made the biggest, meanest growl I could and banged the pots together. And, well, I'm still here, right? I don't look all scratched up. The bear ran. That was some moment in our lives. Like, that could have turned out really differently. Thank the Lord that the bear ran. That was our only personal bear story. That's the only time I've ever seen a bear not in captivity. Here's another bear story. This is a true story. It was in the news. I had no intersection with it, but it's in the news. So down in the Great Smoky Mountains, you ever been there? I have not. I really want to go there. Down in the Great Smokies, there was a female black bear. Now, a female black bear will grow up to about 300 pounds. The male can be 900 pounds, three times her size. But she'll be about uh, 300 pounds and about five foot seven tall if she stands right up. So that's still a pretty formidable animal. And uh, this female bear had become a little bit of a danger, a little bit of a nuisance. She's grabbing food off of picnic tables. She had one picnic area, camping area in particular, that she frequented. That was her favorite. She'd get into the trash cans when people were walking away and leaving their backpacks. She'd dig into backpacks. She's looking for food. She had a pretty good gig going there with food. So they decided we got to relocate this female black bear. So how do they locate them? Well, they tranquilize them. I don't know how. They shoot them with a dart or somehow give them a pill. I don't know what they do. Anyway, they tranked her real good, tied her all up tight, bound her, put her in the back of a truck. It's enclosed truck, closed the truck doors. And they drove this female bear through, let's see, they're in Tennessee, they drove over into North Carolina, then they drove down through South Carolina, then they drove all the way down into Georgia, a thousand miles, and they released her, a thousand miles from the picnic table that she liked, boo-boo bear, picnic table. Well, what, then they put a geo-tracking device on her ear, and they watched her, and she started walking, and walking, and walking and walking, and she never stopped walking. She's like the Energizer bear, Energizer rabbit bear. She's like the Forrest Gump bear, run, Forrest, run, walk, bear, walk. And she walked and walked a 1,000 miles out of Georgia into South Carolina, into North Carolina, up into Tennessee, and right back to the very picnic area that was her favorite. Now, here's the thing. How did she do that? Like, how on earth? She was tranquilized. She was bound. She was inside an enclosed truck a thousand miles away. She walked right back to her campsite. How did she do that? And the answer is, we don't know. Nobody knows. 
Some people say, well, maybe bears have something in them, what would that be, that can read the Earth's magnetic fields and somehow they can navigate by the changes in the magnetic fields. Sounds like you're reaching to me. Sounds like wishful thinking to me. We have no clue. It's the same thing with other animals who spot, who travel upstream and spawn or whales that go up the ocean and return to a place or go to a place where their parents were, but they've never been and stuff like that. It just reminds me of that verse that talks about humans and says, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And in the same way, maybe to a slightly lesser extent, but in the same way, so are bears, so are whales, so are salmon all made to glorify the God who conceived of our existence and spoke a word and created us and upholds us and all things by the word of his power. So there's my two real bear stories. But now we're going to come to the, to the Bible. There are actually 14 times in the Bible where the word bear appears. <laughs> I'm tricking you, though, because most of them are not referring to the animal, but to the action. What do you mean by the action? Well, um, bear up with one another in love. Bear. It doesn't mean you're doing something bear-like. It doesn't mean you put on a bear hat. It just means you're, you're putting up with somebody else. Or bear one another's burdens. Or you will bear much fruit. If you abide in Christ, you'll bear. So there are 14 times that the word bear is used. Most of them, the majority of them are that kind of bear. They're the the action. They're the verb. They're not the noun. But then there's a lot of times when the noun appears. So here's one. It's in Job. It's in Job 9.9. It's in Job 38.2. And it's not exactly the animal, but it's sort of the animal. What is it? It's the constellation known in astronomy as the great bear. And so, you know, the Bible says, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament shows his handiwork. And isn't it amazing that God so put the stars? Was this intentional or are we just using our imaginations? And one little group of stars over there looks like a bear. There's a bear in the sky. And I think that's pretty cool. But what about the real animal in the Bible? Are there any bears? Yes, there are. So here's where we're going to start. There are some bears in the life of David, and there are some fascinating and insightful, insight-giving things that happen here with David and bears. The first one is in 1 Samuel 17, verses 34 and 35 we're going to look at. And David, he's a young man. He's not a big uh, warrior. He's not a large man. He's not a soldier. He's a kid. And nobody will fight Goliath. Everybody's trembling before Goliath. And David comes in and says, I will fight Goliath. And they're all like, you can't fight Goliath. You're a kid. You're not a soldier. You don't know what you're doing. You're just a boy. But here's what David said to Saul. But David said to Saul, quote, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. A lion, a bear, I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Whoa. Now, what David's really telling us there is he knows this, and everybody who's hearing the story knows this, and you should know this. David is saying, look, I don't get it. Nobody can kill a bear. Nobody can grab it by its fur and strike it and kill it. You can't do that with a bear. Bears are big and strong. You can't do that with a lion. They're the king of the jungle. No boy, no human can grab a bear by its mane and strike it and kill it. You'd be dead in an instant. He'd rip you to shreds. What David is saying is maybe like this. I'm paraphrasing. I'm making this up. 
look, guys, I don't know what goes on here. Well, I do know what goes on. It must be God. Somehow I am supernaturally enabled to kill lions. He had to know it's God. It's supernatural. And somehow I have been supernaturally enabled to kill bears, barehanded, if you will. I can grab them by their mane, punch them in the face, and they're dead. I can hit them with my stick, and they're dead. It's supernatural. God enables me to kill large and fierce foes. Let me have a, let me have a shot at Goliath. Just a little more, 1 Samuel 17, 36. It reads, your servant, that's David referring to himself, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. So I've killed lions. I've killed bears. Reminds me of Dorothy. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh, no. But David didn't say, oh, no. It's more like he said, oh, boy, I'm going to get me one. And now... David even gives hints about what he believed, how come he was able to do that. 1 Samuel 17, 37, he explains it in this way. It's the Lord. The Lord. It's not me, it's the Lord. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul, he understood. All right, man, God's with this boy. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. So there's bears, there's even lions, but we're thinking of bears today. There are bears in the life of David. David kills bears when he's a boy with his bare hands, grabbing their, them by the fur and striking them. Doesn't say if it was a strike with a fist, strike with a stick, but striking them, hitting them with something. Do you want to try and kill a bear barehanded, grab him by his fur and strike him? David did. David is telling us, and we're to understand, David was supernaturally empowered by God to be able to kill a bear and kill a lion. Bears in the life of David. There's another situation with the use of the word bear in the life of David, but this one likens David to a bear. This is 2 Samuel 17, 8. It involves Absalom, a third son of King David. They're talking to Absalom, and they say to him, you know that your father, David, and his men, they are fighters. And they are as fierce as a wild bear robbed of her cubs. That's pretty fierce, right? Like, how many of you want to get between a mama bear and her cubs? How many of you want to be the one to face a mama bear who's been robbed of her cubs? She's angry. She's in kill mode. So they say, you know your father David and his men, they're fighters. They're as fierce as a wild bear robbed of her cubs. That was David. And they go on, besides, your father is an experienced fighter, David. He will not spend the night with the troops. So here David is likened to a bear. David is bear-like. David is a fierce fighter. He's a fierce warrior. He's like a wild bear robbed of her cubs. I like this. I just want to say, I'm really liking David. David is interesting. David is, on the one hand, David is a musician. He's the sweet psalmist of Israel. Usually we don't think of fierce warriors as musicians because usually they aren't, right? It's not the right temperament. The musician temperament tends to be a little more like brooding, moody, thoughtful, maybe higher levels of anxiety, even depression, worry, fear, and stuff. And and that's what drives them to, to muse and to create and even to play instruments and sing. It's like, why do you like to play instruments? And if they told you the truth, it might be because I never feel better. 
when I'm making music, especially music to God. Um, so that tends to be the temperament that gets in the music. Here's David. He's killing bears. He's killing lions. He's a fierce warrior. He's like a bear robbed of her cubs, and yet he's the sweet psalmist, a musician who played for Saul and soothed Saul's nerves. I'm liking David. He's a manly man. He's not soft. He's not the quintessential current nice guy. You're just nice. You just affirm everybody. You're just always nice. No, he was a musician slash warrior. And I want to remind you that David prefigures, that David prepictures, if you will, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So bears in the life of King David. But are there more bears in the Bible? Bears that are, are not connected with the life of King David. Well, actually, there are quite a few. I won't, I won't run them all by you, but there are quite a number of them in the wisdom literature. Let's take the book of Proverbs, and I'll just give you two examples. So in Proverbs 17, 12, a bear appears. Here it is, Proverbs 17, 12. Better to meet a bear, here's this phrase again, robbed of her cubs than to meet a fool bent on folly. Ha ha. So in teaching us how to approach or don't approach somebody that you've identified as a fool, it'd be better to go meet a bear robbed of her cubs than to go be with, than to go meet that fool who's just bent on folly. You're not going to be able to reason with them. It's not going to go good. You're going to get hurt. There are certain people who they're just, the Bible identifies them. That guy's a fool. You get around him, you're going to get hurt. Like pity the man. Weep with the woman who marries a guy and then finds out he's a fool. And because of that, she keeps getting hurt and hurt and hurt and hurt in the marriage. May the Lord help them. May the Lord give them grace. But better to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than a fool bent on folly. Wisdom, literature, Proverbs. Another one, just one more example. Proverbs 28, 15. Like a roaring lion or a charging bear. Imagine a bear charging right at you. Like a roaring lion or a charging bear is a wicked ruler over a helpless people. Isn't that the truth? Go to Rwanda with warlord gangs ruling things. Oh, man, are you in trouble. You don't have to go to Rwanda. I'll just let you think about some of what our country's like. And I'll just write a selah in the margin right there, and you can fill in whatever blanks you want to. Like a roaring roaring lion or a charging bear is a wicked ruler over a helpless people. They can't do anything about it, and the ruler is wicked. But now... I want to come to that bear, two bears really, in the Bible that I mentioned earlier. And that's going to bring us to the life and times of the Old Testament prophet Elijah. We'll start with Elisha, and then we'll get to Elijah. Sorry, the other way around. We'll start with Elijah. The way to remember this, and I can never remember this, the way to remember this is J comes before S. So Elijah comes before Elisha. And I can never remember it, and I have to struggle to get them right. But anyway, we have both of them in this story. And Elijah was a man of God and was supernaturally, miraculously taken up. He was taken up by God. 2 Kings 2 and verse 1. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind. So, wow. It sounds like he's not going to die. He's not going to pass go. He's not going to collect $200. The Lord's just going to blow him right up into heaven. I don't know how that's going to work. Is the Lord going to change him on the way up? Is he going to die on the way up, drop his body, and just be there in spirit and in presence of the Lord waiting for the resurrection at the last day? None of those details are explained. But the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind. 
And he does, Second Kings 2.11. And as they, Elijah and Elisha, still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire. Just try to picture that. There they are, and all of a sudden you're seeing chariots that are made of fire. These are coming from the heavens. These are showing up. These are materializing in time and space, and they're from God. Chariots of fire, and by the way, that's where we get the the name of the, the famous story about the runner, Eric Liddell. And it says, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. So a whirlwind, I guess, is like a tornado. So it just took him right up. And Elijah's gone. So picture that. That's what they saw. All right, where do the bears come in? Well, let's go on. So now we have Elisha, who has a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And Elisha went up from there to Bethel. This is verse 25. Went up from there to Bethel. Now, what do we know about Bethel? Bethel was the capital of godless, idol-worshiping rebellion in Israel. It's like, if you want to be really, really bad, if you really want to be anti-God, if you want to be anti-Bible, if you want to be anti-biblical living and morality, if you want to love idols and serve idols and worship idols, you went to Bethel. And Elisha went up to Bethel. So what kind of people do you think he's going to meet in a place like Bethel? And while he was going up on the way, some youths, some translations say some young boys, I think the Hebrew word can allow that, but it's hard to imagine when we hear what happens that they were young boys. I'm going to think, and most other people I've read think, they were probably teenagers. So some youths, we'll find out how many in a moment, some youths came out of the city. They came out of Bethel, and they jeered at him. They're mocking him. They're making fun of him. They're jeering at him. They know he's a prophet. They know he's the man of God, and they came out to find him and to mock him and to jeer at him. And here's what they say. Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. Now, what's the go up part? They're saying, yeah, we heard the story. They probably didn't believe it. We heard the story about your predecessor. Supposedly, God just took him up in a whirlwind. Ha, ha, ha. Very funny. Nobody can do that. So if you really think he went out, let's see you do it. Go up. Mocking him. Go up, you you bald head. And we don't know what the bald head part means, except probably he was bald. So they're making fun of his bald head. Maybe you're an older man. We're making fun of you because you're older and you're bald. And we're making fun of you because of your story about the prophet going up in the whirlwind. And what happened? Elisha doesn't say, hmm, <laughs> this is going to be interesting. I hope you listen to me on this part. Elisha doesn't say, well, you're just going to receive my love. I'm just going to love you and embrace you, and I want you to know I value you and respect you, and I'm sure you're really wonderful people, and maybe we could talk about this someday, and let's sit down and parlay. Elijah didn't say that. It says, and he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. We've got to talk about that because some people, some Christians, some a lot of Christians maybe in our era, never hear this, don't read their Bible, never run into this, or hundreds of other things that are like it. And they've got this image that the man of God is just always nice. It's Vodibachum's 11th commandment, which is thou shalt be nice. And we're always just 
nice and sweet and it's all lovey-dovey. Not this man of God. He turned around and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And immediately, guess what happens? And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore. That's what the ESV has. The NIV has mauled. The New King James Version has mauled. The New American Standard Version has tore up. Two she-bears. He cursed them, and two she-bears came out of the woods and tore up 42 of the boys. So if you were picturing like three or four boys, no, you're wrong. 42 of them are a group of the boys. So the group is larger than 42. So there were what? We don't know what. So I'll just put out a guess. Let's say there were 50. That sounds conservative, just a little more than 42. What are 42 boys from Bethel doing out wandering around? Like, do you want your son in that group? Oh, sure, there's there's 50 boys out there. You go out and be number 50. Sure, wander around with those guys. No, you'd be like, uh-uh, son, you're not going out with that crew. Because we know they're up to no good. They're looking for trouble. They're looking for excitement. They're looking for some action. These are some bad boys. And their parents are not being very responsible at raising them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's for sure. So he cursed them, and two she-bears came out of the woods and tore them up. And then it says, verse 25, it just goes on and says, from there, he went on to Mount Carmel, and from there, he returned to Samaria. So there are two things here that are problematic for a lot of people, and I want to help you with the problematic part. One thing is that the man of God, and he was a man of God, he had a double portion of the Spirit of God that that Elijah had, he was a man of God. And he cursed them for, you might say, for a little mocking. They're just kids. They're just mocking. Just go over there and be loving. No, Elijah actually cursed them in the name of God. I'm not suggesting you should do that. This is a different time, a different era, surely. But, But Elijah cursed them for a little mocking. And you want to say, wow, isn't that a little over the top? Why is a man of God cursing these boys? And then furthermore, you want to say, and then God obviously responded to that curse. And in his providence and in his sovereignty, in his sovereignty over nature and his sovereignty over bears, he chose as his means of dealing with those boys two she-bears who came out and tore them up, mauled them. That was not a coincidence. Didn't just happen. Well, look at that. What a coincidence. At the moment when the prophet cursed them, these bears just happened to show up. No, we are clearly to understand this is God's response to the prophet's utterance of the curse. So the prophet, the man of God, curses these boys for mocking him and mocking Elijah and mocking Elisha, and God providentially sends these bears. Isn't that over the top? Maybe we should join the Andy Stanley camp and say, Christians, we need to get ourselves unhitched from the Old Testament. You know I'm being facetious. Please do not get yourself unhitched from the Old Testament. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every good deed. Please remain absolutely hitched to your Old Testament. It is the Word of God written. Well, then how do you explain this whole thing? Um, How do you explain it? God is sovereign, and these boys were evil. 
And God may choose to deal with evil in any way he wants to. There was a time when he dealt with almost everybody who lived on the planet by water, by a flood. And he wiped out everyone on the planet because all of their thoughts were only evil continually. All the thoughts and intentions of their hearts were only evil continually. Should, should we complain to God? God, you're wrong for doing that. These were nice people. No, it's, it's just. God is sovereign. We're, we're, the, we're the clay. He's the potter. He may do with the clay as he wishes. It's up to God to determine the boundaries of our habitation. It's up to God. It's up to God to determine. He does determine when and where you'll be born, how long you'll live, when and where you'll die, how you'll die. It's up to God. Those things are in God's hands. And he doesn't owe any one of us another moment of life. And he can choose whatever means he wants to end our life and to require us in his presence up there in the heavenlies anytime he wants to, any way he wants to. And so this notion of, the alternate notion that people have seems to be this notion that, uh, well, God owes us all these good things and he's supposed to be good to us and it wouldn't be good to us if he's sending bears. To, no, God is sovereign and it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And these boys, in mocking the man of God, you understand they are being anti-God. They're being anti-Christ. They're mocking God. They're mocking the Father seated on the throne in heaven who took his prophet up in a whirlwind, who empowered this next prophet to come and speak in his name. They're mocking the prophets. They're mocking God. They're mocking what God did. And this is in Israel. And God says, well, that's the end of your days or at least you're going to be very scratched up. So you don't want to get yourself too tinged with the modern sensibilities of God is just nice to everyone. He's just this big ball, this big innocuous glob of love, jellyfish-like floating around, and every time you bump into him, it's just love. Well, God is love, but our God is also a consuming fire, and again, it is a fearful thing to fall into his hands. So two bears in the life of Elijah. That's the one I really wanted to talk about. Are there any more bears in the Bible? There are more, but I'm only going to mention one more. This one's in the book of Isaiah, chapter 11 and verse 7. Now, depending on how you're interpreting this, here's how I interpret this. We are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. And Isaiah 11:7 describes that place and that time in this way. Here's the peace of that time. The cow will feed with the bear. So there's a cow, and standing right there beside him is the bear, and they're both munching on some grass right in front of them, or whatever they're munching on. The cow will feed with the bear. I didn't know, so I looked it up. Is, is, a, is a bear a threat to a cow? Oh, yes, they are. Now, it's got to be a big bear. Like a grizz, easy to take down a cow. No problem. Effortless. Smaller bears, it takes some more work. But it has been done, and it can be done. So bears and cows don't feed together. They're not like buddies up there in the hills. But there will come a time, and I believe it's in the new heavens and new earth, or some think it. this is metaphorical of the kind of reconciliation that will occur between people in these days, in these last days, the, the church age. But I'm putting it in the last day. I'm putting it in the new heavens and the new earth. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young, the young cow and the young bear, will lie down together. Just picture that. There's a little calf and there's a little baby bear, and they're all snuggled up together. God says that's what it'll be like. There'll be such peace. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. Ha! Huh, he'll be herbivorous now. A herbivorous lion. Imagine that. Some think this is a metaphor for reconciliation between enemies in this church age, and it may be. 
I'm more inclined to go with those who say, no, I think this is the new heavens and a new earth. Wherever you place it, it's to the glory of God. God. God is going to make peace between people and bears and cows and lions. So bears in the Bible. And before we go, I'm going to turn back to bears and culture and give you one more reference to bears. This is modern culture. This is under the category of children's songs. Maybe some of you will know this. I mean this just to be kind of humorous. But here's this song, and I'm not going to sing it for you. But here are the lyrics. If you go down to the woods today, you're sure of a big surprise. If you go down to the woods today, you better go in disguise. For every bear that ever there was will gather there for certain, because today's the day the teddy bears have their picnic. And that takes us back to teddy bears and picnic tables. Sounds like boo-boo, doesn't it? By the way, that thing is a song. The melody was written in 1902 by an American composer, John Bratton, and the lyrics were added in 1932 by Irish songwriter Jimmy Kennedy. And here's what I want to say about the song. It reflects fascination with bears. It's a children's song. And even children are fascinated with the idea of bears. Bears are amazing creatures made by a vastly more amazing creator, God. Well, I think that's where we're going to land it today. Bears and the Bible. Thank you for joining me on Grounded. Hope you'll come again. Maybe bring a friend. 